As we come to God's word, let us uh, unite our hearts in prayer. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come. And Father, we thank you for your presence with us right now, right here, by the power of your living word and your Holy Spirit. Lord, please speak, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We're turning to God's Word to read from, Luke, uh, from Acts uh, chapter 2. Uh, and we're reading from Acts chapter 2. And it's on page 1093 of the Church Bibles. If you want to have a Church Bible open, 1093. If you want to have the, the passage up on your phone, and the words will be on uh, the screen. So we're reading uh, from God's Word from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. And it's, it, this is after the death and, and resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the church is gathered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And Pentecost was an ancient Jewish festival. And we pick the story up there. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own languages, in their own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and bills of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. 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 Well, next year we start... Uh, we will celebrate, next year we will celebrate the 75th anniversary 
of the of D-Day. Sixth uh, of June, nineteen forty-four. D-Day was when the Allied forces poured ashore onto the beaches of Normandy and started to push back the forces of, of evil and oppression and darkness. As those Allied forces poured into northern France, they started to liberate the people of Europe from the Nazi grip. We've just read here about the day of Pentecost. Well, Pentecost was a little bit like a spiritual D-Day. You see, on the day of Pentecost, God poured out his Holy Spirit on the earth and he started to push back the forces of evil and darkness and oppression. And as God poured out his Spirit on his church, so he started to build his kingdom and to liberate people from the grip of sin and death. And by the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, God continues to push back the the forces of oppression and darkness and to to work out his great liberation plans for all people everywhere. That's why we hunger for his Spirit. We hunger for his Spirit like those oppressed people in Europe hungering for liberation, hungering for those D-Day forces to land and push it back. We hunger for his Spirit. But who exactly is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? And how can we have more of him? You'll hopefully have got one of our little preaching schedules and you'll see there that over the next few weeks we'll be looking at how, the, how we can better understand something of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. We'll look at how the Spirit is involved in our worship. How he brings forth fruit in our lives. How he empowers us to live victoriously for God. And how we can hear him speaking into our lives individually and as a congregation. And I'm really excited and really expectant about what God is going to do here tonight and in the weeks ahead. For I believe that God is going to meet with us here in this place by his spirit in a really powerful way. You see, I think that for a long time in the church generally, uh, the Holy Spirit was really not talked about very much. We were more comfortable with the idea of God the Father and and God the Son. We kind of got our heads around the the, the Creator Father and the Loving Father and the Redeemer Son, but not so much the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity. See, somebody once said to me that the church in Northern Ireland has kind of lived more like the the Trinity was Father, Son, and Holy Bible. But of course, the Holy Bible tells us about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so this month, as we start to look together at the first of our four priorities, God's presence and hungering for His Spirit, I thought that tonight we might lay the foundations for these talks over these next few weeks by starting with a a little overview of what the Bible says about the Spirit. So the first thing we see that the Bible tells us about the Spirit is this, that God, the Holy Spirit, is eternal and was present with God the Father and God the Son from the beginning. As Gareth said this morning, the Holy Spirit is not some kind of new phenomenon. He's not some recent invention of the Pentecostal churches or the charismatic movement. 
No, he is eternal. He is eternal, and he's been around from the beginning. He's part of the Trinity, as we've just been singing. The Godhead, three in one, Father, Spirit, Son, from time eternal. Genesis 1 and 26, it it says, Let us make man in our image. The in our, the our, indicating the community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's been around since the beginning, and he was active in the creation of the world. The Holy Spirit is active throughout the Bible, but, well, we'll start at the beginning. And I know we looked briefly at this this morning and what Gareth was saying in his sermon this morning. Looked at these couple of verses, but they're worth repeating. Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. He was hovering, hovering like a bird hovering over her nest, brooding, waiting, waiting to do something new, something wonderful. Out of the chaos, he brings the cosmos. Out of disorder, he brings order. Out of confusion, he brings harmony. Out of deformity, he brings beauty. Out of oldness, he brings newness. And here the Spirit of God was hovering, waiting to create, waiting to to do new things, just as the Holy Spirit is with us here tonight. Waiting to do new things in our lives. That's what the Holy Spirit does. When we're open to Him, He brings transformation to us both individually and collectively as a community of His people. When the Spirit comes, He always brings newness, a new heart, new attitudes, new desires, new relationships, new partnerships. When we become Christians, when we come to faith in Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us to give us new birth, to breathe life, the breath of life into us. But as we trace his activity through the Scripture, we see that in the Old Testament times, he came only upon particular people at particular times for particular tasks. For example, on Gideon, on Gideon for leadership, Judges tells us that then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet summoning the Abizarites to follow him. The Holy Spirit turned Gideon into a great leader. This is one of the things about the Spirit. When he comes upon us, he he transforms us. Then in the book of Judges, the Spirit comes on Samson for strength. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power and the ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. Samson was free. And we often find that what's described in the Old Testament in a physical way is true in the New Testament and today in a spiritual way. So here it is that Samson was bound physically and when the Spirit of God came upon him he was able to break free. And so it is with, perhaps with us, we find ourselves perhaps bound by habits, by by patterns of thought, by addictions, 
And when the Spirit of God comes upon us, He comes to set us free. Sometimes it might be from obvious things like drugs or alcohol addiction, but it can be from other things. Attitudes, bad temper, envy, jealousy, anger, immorality. And the Spirit of God wants to set us free. And you know, for some people it's immediate and in some area of our lives it may be immediate. But for others it's a lifelong process of liberation. But the Holy Spirit comes to give us strength to set us free. To live the kind of lives that deep down we're longing to lead and that God designed us for. And then he came upon Isaiah for prophecy in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. The Holy Spirit came on Isaiah to prophesy, to preach the good news to the exiles. When they desperately needed some good news for they were in exile. Far from Babylon. Far from Jerusalem in Babylon. And and the Spirit of God came on Isaiah to preach the good news that God would one day set them free from captivity and bring them back home to Jerusalem, back to himself, back to the fullness of the blessings that he had for them. And as we move through the Old Testament, there is this rising sense of anticipation that God is going to do something even more amazing. And this is referred to as the promise of the Father. You see, we could, in a sense, sum up the whole of the Old Testament in one word. Promise. And the Holy Spirit was promised by the Father. In Ezekiel 36, God says this. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. He says, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So who does this promise apply to? In who is this promise going to be fulfilled? Joel 2 and 28, the passage quoted by Peter in our reading from Acts. This is what God says. God says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. It's regardless of gender. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. It's regardless of age. Even on my servants, it's regardless of background or race or color or class. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. It's for everyone. Everyone. As we continue to trace the Holy Spirit's activity in Scripture, we see that He was active in the conception and birth of Jesus. Everybody connected with the birth of Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was active with John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, We read in Luke 1 that an angel spoke to John's father, Zechariah, and he told him that he would have a son called John, and that he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. With Mary, the mother of Jesus, Luke 1, the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One born will be called the Son of God. 
He was also active in the life of Mary's cousin, Elizabeth. Tells us when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, when Mary went to visit Elizabeth and she greeted her, it says that the baby leapt in Elizabeth's womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. John's father, Zechariah, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. But it's still particular people at particular times. But we see God unfolding his releasing of the Spirit. And then John the Baptist is the first person to make this link between the promise and Jesus. In Luke 3, 16, John says, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You see, baptism with water is important, but there's more. There's more. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And in the Greek word, the the word baptize meant to immerse, to plunge, to drench. He wants to drench us. He wants to fill us. You know, sometimes we, we can become spiritually very dry. We can become dry like like sponges. You know what it's like if you have a dry sponge and you put it into a basin of water. It just soaks in the water. And when you lift it out of the basin, it's saturated. It's full of water. That's how Jesus wants us to be with the Holy Spirit. That's how we're meant to be. As we come to God in prayer and praise and worship individually and collectively, soaking in His Spirit. Soaking in His Spirit. He was upon Jesus at His baptism and He remained upon Him throughout His earthly ministry. Jesus Himself was completely full of the Spirit. Luke 3 tells us when, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. That's why we sometimes use a dove to represent the Spirit. And it goes on, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Luke 4 tells us that Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. And Luke 4 goes on that Jesus, when Jesus declares the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus too is full of the Spirit, but he predicts his coming on the church. John 7, at the Feast of Tabernacles, it tells us on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture said, will have streams of living water flowing from within. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. You see, Jesus is saying that he will pour his spirit into us and we will well up from within and it will flow out from us. 
Not only does Jesus promise to satisfy our spiritual thirst, but then we are to become a source of blessing, a source of life as that spirit wells up within us and overflows out to others in our church, in our community, in our city, in our land. You see, these people lived on the edge of the desert and water was important and water meant life. Water symbolizes life. And we sometimes use water to symbolize the Spirit. Watering, cleansing, refreshing, bringing life. And Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit brings life. And it means when we're filled with the Spirit, then the life of the Spirit flows through us, out of us, out to other people. And and some of the very last words of Jesus to his disciples at the end of Luke's Gospel Luke chapter 24, Jesus says this. He said, I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. In Acts chapter 1, after his death and resurrection, Jesus meets with his disciples a number of times. And on one occasion, it says on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Going on, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the disciples waited there. They waited for the promise to be fulfilled. And they waited and they prayed. For ten days they waited and they prayed. And all this time there's this rising sense of expectation. Rising, rising, rising. It's like somebody shaking a a champagne bottle and then eventually, Acts 2, the cork flies out. And at Pentecost, the church is filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire That's why we sometimes use fire to represent the Holy Spirit that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them. All of them. You see, not just particular people at particular times for particular tasks anymore, but all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues and languages declaring the wonders of God to people from many different nations as the Spirit enabled them. (coughs) And people's reactions were mixed. It says here that they were amazed and perplexed. Some people thought this is wonderful. Others people thought they're drunk. In other words, something amazing was happening, but they didn't quite know how to explain it, so they gave a natural explanation to something that was supernatural. And then Peter stands up and he says, let me tell you what's happening here, folks. He says, let me explain this to you. These people are not drunk. 
as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, Peter says, this is not drunk. This is the promise. This is the promise. This, this is biblical. This is what was promised in the Old Testament. This is God keeping his promise. And folks, since that day, God has been continuing to keep his promise. And he has been moving by his spirit on and through his church, his people. For he is now upon his church. Praise the Lord, for we live in the age of the spirit. God now gives his Holy Spirit to every single Christian. Every single believer. In Acts 2, Peter explains that God had promised to pour out his Spirit on all people. And this is it. This is it. This is God's promise coming true. And it continues to come true. And he continues to pour out his Spirit on all people. On all his people. On his church. And then Peter says something wonderful here as well. He says, and this is for you. This is for you. It tells us in verse 37 of Acts 2, it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is the amazing promise of our Father. The gift of the Holy Spirit is no longer for particular people at particular times and for particular tasks. It's for everyone, for every generation, for all whom the Lord our God will call. It's for you, it's for me, it's for each and every one of us here this evening. Because, you see, since the day of Pentecost, since that spiritual D-Day, we now live in the, in the age of the Spirit. God continues to pour out His Holy Spirit on the church, and by the work of the Spirit, He continues to push back the forces of evil, those forces of darkness and oppression. He continues to liberate people from the grip of sin and death, and He continues to build His church. That's why we sing, Thank you, O my Father for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. We are thankful for every Christian has the Holy Spirit living within. But yet, yet when St. Paul writes to the Christians in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So this, this Greek word here is apparently... It's in the present continuous uh, tense. It, it means go on being filled. Keep being filled over and over and over again. God wants to fill us and he wants to refill us and he wants to give us more, more of his spirit, more of himself. And of course, every Christian has the Holy Spirit. He comes to live inside us when we come to faith as Jesus, uh, as our Savior and Lord and invite him into our hearts and our lives. But sometimes, you know, we can feel a little flat, can't we? We don't always feel full of the Spirit. 
A friend of mine was once asked, have you ever been filled with the Spirit? And he said, yes, I have, but I leak. I leak. And that's how it is with the Holy Spirit, isn't it? We leak. Or let me use another illustration. I remember a few years ago, I went over to a Christian festival in Wales, and I was volunteering at the event, and I was staying with some other volunteers in a, a big static caravan. And that caravan had in the kitchen area a gas water heater, and it had this little tiny pilot light, I think it's called, just flickered there kind of all the time, until somebody turned on the hot water, and then whoosh! Boy, you better be ready for it too, because... If you didn't know, but there was this wee, wee tiny light, and then the hot water went on, and woof. And I think that maybe that's sometimes how we are with the Holy Spirit. We, we kind of are a, a lot of the time a little flickering pilot light. But God wants us to be so much more, He wants us to be filled with the Spirit. He wants to give us that whiff. Give us more life, more of him, more fire. To be on fire for him, that's what he wants. So just as I finish, in a moment we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to fill us, perhaps for the first time, or to fill us afresh. But we're going to ask him to come and fill us. We're going to invite him to fan the flame. To bring us more life. So that we can better live for him. As he continues to push back the powers of darkness and evil and oppression. As he continues to liberate people and to build his church in this city. And in this land. You know in Luke chapter 11 Jesus says this. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we're going to ask him. And perhaps you're not yet a Christian. Perhaps you've not yet said yes to Jesus and experienced that love and power of the Spirit in your life. Well, tonight God is here and he's giving you an opportunity to do that. And as we move into a new church year, as we move into a whole new season here at Orangefield, there would be no better time to say yes to Jesus. To receive that new life that he wants to give you and to join us on this wonderful adventure as he takes us forward together into the plans that he has for us. There's a little prayer in the the Why Jesus book. If you'd like to start following Jesus tonight and experience the Holy Spirit in your life, you can do that. In fact, I'm going to give you an opportunity and invite you to do that right now. So shall we all pray together? Let us pray. If you'd like to become a Christian here tonight and then you can repeat this this prayer in the silence of your own heart or audibly if you wish. But Jesus sees your heart and hears your prayer. And this is the prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. 
I turn now from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit and be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And for all of us as we continue in prayer, God is here. His Spirit is with us. So let us open ourselves afresh to him. Heavenly Father, we hunger for you. Would you please give us more of your Holy Spirit? Come and fill us now, we pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us.